film sucks Indie film sucks It's the Indie Film Sucks Podcast Yeah from the mean streets of St. Louis, from a basement on South Broadway, the Indie Film Sucks Podcast. Because Indie Film still sucks. Still sucks. Still sucks. Number six. Number six. Yep. Who would have thought we'd made this far, right? Uh, maybe we don't suck. Maybe we don't. Yeah, proof's in the pudding, right? Ah, what's your suck, Brock? I knew you'd do this to me. Yeah, see? <laughs> you called me out last time, so <laughs> I'm calling you out again. Such a bastard. Uh, my suck is that since we're the working class independent filmmakers, which means that we have our own lives, our own jobs, our real jobs besides making movies, you know, for now, for the time being, hopefully, right? The suck of it is, is all that other noise outside of making movies. I mean, I, I wish we could, and eventually that's our goal is to just make movies, right? But right now we have our other lives we have to juggle, our family lives, which I have a I have a family, which I adore. Um, I have a couple businesses, which I juggle on top of this business. And it, it, it sucks to have to put those first sometimes, but they're, they're, that's what's putting the food on the table. This independent world of making movies is, is really where the passion's at for me. And it sucks I can't do that full time right now. I put my family first in front of everything and uh, independent film second. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see the suck there and I can just kind of take a little bit of that suck and expand on it from my my experience and what i think about that and, and what sucks for me is getting into it a little bit late making other choices not real and realizing how big of a passion it was for me until you guys kind of brought me back in we'll talk a little bit about that tonight how i became a partner and different things but the suck part is is how long in between projects that it's we're not quite there yet where we're going to be sustained by money coming in that you can move to the next project and continue to pay yourself because mm-hmm. absolutely family comes first just like me other things come in in front of passion because you right. have to make money but somehow we're going to find a way to make this passion into dollars right exactly and, and it's no less the passion right the passion's not less right it's just the fact that other things have to support it and the older we get, Gregor, we talk about this all the time, yeah. the harder it gets, the more uh, responsibility you've taken on. I got two kids myself that I love. I got a wife who, you know, she works and, and I work and I always put that first mm-hmm. and try to make this work at the exact same time. Gregor, what's your suck? Yeah, I guess mine is kind of uh, similar to, uh, to both your guys, although I do not have kids and I am divorced and that divorce partially came from filmmaking. Mm-hmm. You know, it was... It was, it was tough. Married for a long time, and, you know, just when we were going into the next movie, I don't think it was, uh, we were going to survive it as a couple, so we chose to split, which was tough. But uh, I, I work in the industry, I guess, but I was just talking about this very same thing with our Red Night at Skies editor, Jeff Wedding, uh, who's in Nashville. He also works in the industry, but we both said, yeah. As Jeff said, I know so many people who like work in film and video, but they're not making movies full time. Right. Same thing. I mean, yeah, I'm not making movies full time. I'm doing commercial stuff. I'm yep. doing corporate stuff. Uh, I used to do legal video, so it's video. But it, it's years ago. I was talking to, I guess, my former sister in law. You know, great, great 
person she is. And when I was first working in legal video, she said, oh, that's so great. You're doing your passion. And uh-huh. I laughed and I said, yeah, no, not, not really. And I didn't try to explain to sure. her, but, but it's kind of like if you want to be a high fashion photographer, but you work at Sears Portrait Studio. Yeah, you're you're taking photographs, but you're not uh, you're not doing what you want to do. Not the not the right level. No. Right, and hopefully it's a stepping stone, and we've talked a lot about that, right? The levels and the experience you get. Hopefully that's a stepping stone for that person. Yeah. And legal video keeps you in the mix, and yeah. it pays the bills. I mean, it's, it's but it's right. It's way different. Yeah. So what did we leave off last time? Well, sounded nothing, right? Yep. We kind of finished finished talking about that a little bit and experience there. And after sounded nothing, that was 2012. We shot 11, 12. We shot it. We screened it in 13. Okay. And then that's when I finally decided, hey, we're gonna do the damn web series. Oh, okay. It was a 70s throwback exploitation. So I I functioned as director of photography on that. I designed all the shots. And they were they were short. It was like each was like a little five minute segment, and it was called the Killer's Resolute. The Killer's Resolute. TKR. So we just thought, let's just see what this does. Let's just try something different because we just wrapped up, you know, our fourth feature film. So let's let's try the web series route. See what that gets us. You know, we did a nine episode thing, and it got pretty good reviews. But we didn't know how or where to push it or where to put it. Exactly right. We we, we filmed these things. They're really fast. Uh, there's some action involved. Good storylines. Good character plots along every yeah. character. I mean, every character. There's certain episodes that mainly focuses on those characters, and it was done really well. But as you were saying, we couldn't find a home for it. We didn't know what to do with the damn thing. So yeah. smaller project, a little easier, yeah. a little probably less expensive. We sh- there was it's nine episodes, and we sh- each one took one day to shoot. Okay, which was very appealing, mm-hmm. and it didn't cost anything. Just lunches, more or less. People just wanted to come out and shoot. And make, yeah, make sure. and it was all volunteer thing. Right, and and I've I've said that before. There's nothing wrong with doing this stuff for low or no money. Just say it up front. Right, I mean, everybody knows with when we we come to them that if it's something like this, if it makes any money, you, we're pretty legit guys. If yeah. it makes money, dude, you're gonna get money. Right, right, but I mean, it, right, but you're not putting people in positions. You're just saying you're never gonna say, hey, but if this makes money, and I yeah, hate no. I hate that phrase. That's a mm-hmm. that's a suck of mine too. I think yeah. you mentioned that before. That right. Yeah. There's no back-end money anywhere. No no empty promises. Exactly. There's one thing I have never done and never will do is make a movie for deferred pay. Deferred pay means no pay. Right. And there will be no pay. Yeah, as long as it's, like you were saying, Chris, as long as it's up front, everything is discussed. But I think if we get back to the shorts here, the the web series. series. Yeah. that TKR. People wanted, were hungry to do a short project, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and then they did see Sound of Nothing, and it's a pretty good movie. Yeah. And they wanted they wanted to be part of something like that. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it, 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 was a, it was a good little short experiment that we didn't really know what to do with. We hired someone to do marketing for us, and I'm not saying she did a bad job. She just didn't really know what to do with it either. It's on the web. You can find it. Oh, okay. Search for okay. it. I mean, okay. it's out right. there. It's free. You can, you know. Right, right. You can look it up, The Killer's Resolute. It's, yeah. it's on our 88millimeter.com website, 88millimeterfilms.com. There's a link to it. All right. But we didn't know what to do with it, how to monetize it or any of that, and I still honestly don't. I'm sure somebody does, but you know we didn't. So after that, now it's like 2014, 
And I really didn't know what I was going to do next. I didn't have any plan. You know, it's like we've gone through a lot of stuff. We've got a couple of films in distribution at this point that are not making any money. So I'm like, I don't know what I'm, I should be doing next. I mean, I had ideas, but no money to make them happen. And it just so happens I'm looking on Facebook one day, and some of the guys I was friends with who were World War II reenactors that worked on Rhineland, they were making, they were doing this thing called Weldenkrieg. So I finally hit them up, and I said, what is Weldenkrieg? And they said, oh, that's where World War II reenacting started in Weldon Spring, Missouri in 1975. Crazy. Yeah, so I said, wow. What are you guys doing with with this? Oh, we're bringing it back. It's been gone since 1990. We're gonna bring the event back to Weldon Spring. So the first thing you think is, I gotta grab a camera and go. No, <laughs> I went from thinking someone should make a documentary about that to, oh, I should make a documentary about that. I had never done a feature length documentary before, so I thought, all right, uh, I'll do this, and I put together a a crew, and we dressed out. There was like a, a five a five person team. And this was a big event. I mean, there were hundreds, probably five, six hundred reenactors. Damn. 20, 30 period vehicles, you know, tanks, German stuff, American stuff, no, it, it, it's British le- stuff. Legit with, with or without you. I mean, the, the documentary is awesome. I, yeah. I learned a ton, but they're legit. Yeah, this was a close to the public yeah. event, and, and it was a World War II tactical battle. And that's how we got some of these guys involved with. Rhineland way back when by going to one of their battles that was close to the public and we convinced them to work on our film a couple of them guys as technical advisors and so I still knew them so I documented this whole event from beginning to end late 2013 through 2014 and it was a blast so did they reenact a certain battle no it wasn't it was just a scenario okay so it was like three scenarios like capture the airfield capture the town and one other thing I don't remember. It was a weekend. It was a whole weekend, yeah. So we were dressed out in period World War II uniforms, which I still had from Rhineland. Still have them now. Still have them now. My, uh, I guess my my wife at the time, my ex-wife now, when I, when I came back from that event, she's like, "You look like you had such a great time." I said, "Yeah, it was so awesome because unlike Rhineland, I had no control over any of this stuff. I was just running around with the camera. There were I had a crew of people who were just shooting everything." And then, you know, later I got interviews, and it was like, I didn't have to worry if the tank was broken down. I can't fix that. That's just part of the story. Right. Mm-hmm. So Somebody it, else's problem. Yeah, it was it was incredibly liberating. And that, for the first time, I could really see the appeal of being a documentary filmmaker. Because I've always been a narrative filmmaker, and I still am to this day. And I've never really been a documentary filmmaker. Because at the end of the day... I could also see the negative side of being a documentary filmmaker is because you can't control jack shit. To be honest, all the reenactors who have seen the film really, really enjoy it because I painted a very honest picture of them. And I think the only way to make the film really marketable is if I would have played false with them and tried to make them look like they were crazy or assholes. Yeah, yeah. And and I I just couldn't do that to and, and nothing controversial happened. No. So there's no reason to create that just to get some kind of sensationalized you no, know, hype ex- for it. Exactly. I mean, because there were German reenactors, and it's like, we're not Nazis, but someone's got to play the bad guys. Right. It was a, a heartwarming story, but there was there was no controversy there. So there's no real markability with it, just basically because there wasn't any real drama. I mean, I think there's a market to it, but it's not. you're right. It's not going to get sensationalized no. or, or picked 
picked up because it's not like Tiger King, right? And that, that's that's what I, I came away with when I was done with it. Is like, wow, okay, I, I can see the appeal of documentary, but I can also see the downside. Is because I mean, I needed like some really crazy people. I needed some some huge asshole to show up. I needed someone to get run over by a tank. I needed something bad to happen <laughs> for this movie to really have something to really grab someone who wasn't a reenactor, and it just didn't. Right. So I, I decided purposefully I'm not going to pursue distribution with this. And I'm not going to self-distribute it because I know what a pain in the ass that is. I know. <laughs> talked about that a little bit already. I, I know how difficult that is. So then, so then after Weldon Creek, this is 2014, you know, I, I was like, oh, I don't know what we're going to do next. And it just so happened that in 2014, November of that year, a very good friend of mine, uh, someone who had acted in a lot of my stuff. He was one of the lead actors in our first movie, Amphetamine, Stephen Heffernan. He died suddenly of a heart attack. That was really tough to take because Steve was one of those guys. He had a passion for acting, and no matter what I threw at him, he was always up for it. Yeah, He was always positive. He never lost faith. He was just one of those guys that, oh, yeah, this is going to be successful. Yeah, good Great dude. Yeah, great guy. Yeah. So that that's where I came up with the idea. It, it was about a failed filmmaker who goes back to finish the film he abandoned 10 years before. And I was going to use footage from Amphetamine because I still was in touch with a lot of the, the cast on that. When Steve died, I thought, well, this this is a way for me to give him a last role. So that was a second mockumentary. It's called 35 Days of Post-Production Odyssey. Personally, my favorite film out of, out of our catalog. It tells the story of a failed filmmaker who goes back to finish the movie that he abandoned 10 years before because his friend, lead actor in the film, passed away. It's a freaking great movie about independent filmmaking. We've screened that places, and everybody in there is just like, I've seen myself in that. I see that. I see that. That's, that's why it's such a wonderful film. You don't have to be a filmmaker or in the indie world to enjoy this movie either. No. Because it's about failure and yeah. overcoming it and not being where you want to be in life and still trying to get through and <laughs> endure that suck to get, to get to the next step. Well, and the passion of the of the director and still coming back and, and finishing the project, right? Yeah. We always, we're going to finish it. We're going to finish it. We're going to finish it. I think there's a lot to be said in that message yeah. of that movie. And it's... It's funny, it's sad, it's heartfelt, it's it's very true. No. I, I'd have to say out of everything we've done, that has got the biggest reception. We we went to a lot of festivals with it. We won a bunch of awards. Lots. Uh, it was it was a great experience. And we've always had great screenings with it. Audience have really connected with it. And you ask me, how come that one is not available? Because here's the killer. We did not have a name actor in that movie. And I felt... If we release that, the same as with Weldon Creek, it's not going to go anywhere. So we sat on it. We've been sitting on it since 2016. And it still holds up, actually. No, it, it absolutely holds up. And mm -hmm. I think that's important for people to understand is we feel like we're in control of when we release that. But you understand why you're not releasing it. Even though yeah. it's a great movie. And I think this is the well, one people would care about. As I, I said before, you don't have to be a filmmaker to enjoy this movie. But if you are in the industry... This is going to fit right in your wheelhouse. This is a movie you might want to watch where Mackie is saying you're going to recognize yourself or recognize some of the characters in it, and you're going to be able to relate 
to these characters pretty easily. All of them, even yeah. though my character is an asshole, <laughs> <laughs> typecasting. But um, the the movie itself is, is easy to watch. It's 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 very palatable. It, it's funny. It's funny. It's fun. And it's got a little heartbreak in it too. So yeah, yeah. I hope, it, hope everybody goes and, and watches it. Yeah, like like you just or we just said a minute ago. All of our stuff is available on our website, eighty eight millimeterfilms dot com. It's on uh, Vimeo. We 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 just put it all out there. I mean, it's like. I don't know, two ninety nine to rent, five ninety nine to buy. You you cheap motherfuckers, <laughs> spend three bucks to rent the movie. I don't know what to tell you, but yeah, it's out there, and we just put it out there because we're like, it's available. Hell, you can even get the link to Sound of Nothing, which we don't have the rights to that. It goes to the distributor side, or it goes to Amazon, wherever it is. Right. But you can get, you can see everything we've talked about. You can see, right. you can watch. Yeah. Chris, I just with Weldon Creek in this movie, I think it speaks to the relationships that you built over all these years. You're going back to Rhineland, right? And you're still in contact with the reenactors. Yeah. Right. And then you were able to do another project based off of that. And then when you did have some tragic event happen with a friend of ours that passed away, you were able to pull from that and, and make a spectacular movie based on and brought all those people back because of yeah, it you is. Know. And the movie is also a great tribute to Steve. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, he's a it friend is. of mine too. And it just sucked when uh, Greg had called me and told me what happened. Oh. But I'm, I'm glad we was able to do something for him like this. Yeah. It is and and cool. I know nobody would have nobody would have loved it more. Nobody would have been more embarrassed than, <laughs> than Steve by this movie. Nah, embarrassed would've... for the fact that we made it for him. Nah, he'd been proud of it. Absolutely. Yeah, he, he would have loved it. Absolutely. But to, uh, I guess, to kind of finish up our, our, our tale of how we got to where we're at. So after... 35 days it's uh, it's around 2016 i never let go of the idea of making a boxing film so i i contacted brock and said hey i want to do this boxing film we're, we're going to do a just we're going to do a film noir short well before, before before we even got into that we decided to partner up yeah in 2016 brock officially joined the company because we'd been working unofficially together since as, as far as like in that capacity since like 2012 right. so it's like well let's put everything on paper let's let's split up our, our non-assets <laughs> what? <laughs> nothing happened. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Chris was like, "Let's split up the debt." Right. Like, okay. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's <laughs> yeah, why he brought you on. What a great <laughs> idea. You can have a piece of the empire. Here's what you owe. We went from doing a film noir short to a feature film, mm-hmm. and in 2017, we shot the investor teaser for Cruiser, our boxing film, which was going to be our seventh feature film at the time. Mm-hmm. And we put together about $15,000 for this two-minute investor teaser. And we had full production cast and crew and the whole nine, man. And this trailer was fucking hot. It is. Yeah. It is. <laughs> well, I mean, before we got to that trailer, like you said before, we were just going to shoot a short black and white film noir kind of yeah. thing. And then well, we started getting some really cool locations. Yeah. And then it was like, well, let's... If we got these cool locations, let's let's really use them. Yeah, exactly. Because we got we got a casino boxing ring. We got this really awesome warehouse. Mm-hmm. We got some other great spots, and it's like, well, yeah, we're getting all this shit. Let's make it something bigger. So we did, and I started training to be a boxer. You guys made a conscious decision to take it to the next step. After we had this thing put together, we we were going to start pitching it to investors, setting up pitch meetings. So one of the first pitch meetings we set up was a test pitch meeting with yes. a couple of people, one of which was Chris Mackey, who I knew him as an actor, knew him as a friend, knew him as someone I played games with. Just I've known him for quite a while at this point. And so we wanted to get, what's your business sense on this? And what's, what do you think 
the viability of this to raise the kind of money we're trying to raise. Mm-hmm. And then we showed you the yeah. We set up a meeting at Blueberry Hill, this local restaurant. No, I was, I was, I mean, you called me and I'm like, oh, what projects Greg I got going on? Maybe I'll come out and play another weekend or whatever. Cause I really loved being on set, loved doing things. I just didn't have the time or the effort or the energy to put into a full feature film again. That's what yeah. I thought you were calling about, right? Yeah. So what we should presented to you was our pitch deck. Yes. Yeah. Eventually yeah. I found out what you guys were actually wanting yeah. me to come. You're like, Hey Chris, you're in the business world. You live it every day. Yeah. We you, wanted your opinion on what we, we wanted, were trying and, to do. And, yeah. and I'm like, and you you pitched me even before on the phone call saying, "Hey, look, Brock's involved now. Yep. We stepped it up. We got the LLC in place. We got Brock on it. You know all these things that you did that I'm like, oh man, he's taking the next step. Yeah. We got this formula. We know what we're doing. And by the way, we shot this teaser video for investors. It cost us fifteen thousand dollars. I go, got to see this. I was blown away." But I think by the end of it, I think I was pitching you back. And then you go, give me your goddamn pitch back. And you said, you're like, yeah, yeah, you need to do this, you need to do that. And you're talking about it. And then you started pitching us on movie back like, shit, I'm going to, I'm going to work for that. <laughs> right. I want to buy, I'll buy this movie from this guy. Yeah. 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 I'll give this guy money for the movie that I want to make. Yeah. No, it was, it was a good experience for both of us. I think, I think it was the right time, the yeah. right, the right place. My skill set is in that world as far as, you know, being in the business world. I got a lot of um, experience with giving presentations, that kind of stuff. And you guys were so serious. And I really wanted to be part of it. So I was pitching you to say, hey, how can I get involved in this from a sense of A, as an investor, B, as a a producer or, you know, being part of it. So, I I mean, once I saw it, you know, I I was kind of trying to position myself in in, in the mix, too. Greg and I looked at each other. I was like, well, and we knew we needed another go get another ass kicker. And, and, and as we said before, in other podcasts, we're always looking for ass kickers yeah. that goes further than the, the average person will go. And you did that like <laughs> when we was pitching you <laughs> and, and, uh, Chris, Greg and I talked like, yeah, let's, let's get this guy with us. See if, see what he can do. We really put together a really solid, I thought solid pitch deck. I think we all learned together about how to cut, how to cut it down, make yeah. it, make it viable. Um, and we really went to town. And we it, did. We st- uh, we started pitching real investors. This was a 2019 that we started started this. That's yeah. right. I think you came on board either 2018 or 2019. That was like 19, 20 years after we had started. And the the one thing that. If, if you've listened to these podcasts, you've seen we've done a wide variety of films. Mm-hmm. Sort of a, a shotgun blast type approach to genre. And what I found was that that did not work. We made uh, a gangster film, then a war movie, then a mockumentary, then a horror film, then a documentary, then another mockumentary. It's like, man, we, we were all over the place. Right. The only thing that was consistent is we were making good product and we were finishing it. That's Brock right. was in all of them. And Brock was in all of it. <laughs> so the, the, the thing that we decided with Cruiser, I, I like to say this, Cruiser is not a horror film, but it's kind of horror adjacent. It's an action thriller with a hell of a lot of blood. So we thought, okay, going forward, we're going to be working with action or horror films. And that's, that's our genre moving forward, action horror essentially right and, and like i said cruiser is not a horror film but it's it's kind of like it's gory it's very gory and it, it's it's like uh green room if you've heard of that it's not 
really a horror film, but it's horror adjacent. Right. And Cruiser is very much along those lines. Understand, we did not. I mean, if you want to get to that, we did not make Cruiser. It got it got devastated by COVID and, yeah, and no, some other stuff. Yeah, no, we didn't stuff. get all the money back. Right, yeah. Well, let's just go ahead and jump to what happened with that, Chris. You go ahead and talk, Greg, you talk about that. Well, I mean, COVID is what happened to Cruiser. I mean, we we, we pitched it pretty successfully, put together quite a bit of money, biggest budget we're ever going to have. Right. Uh, and COVID hit, and everything shut down. We had to give all the money back. Cruiser was done. We were not going to be able to make the movie under any circumstances. We were back to square one. Cruise was shut down. We knew we couldn't do it. We had to pivot. But I think it's also important to, to mention to people that we finally had enough money to hire the names. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so there's some things that changed even with us because we were we were going sag. We were we were bound by some different rules. Right. We which are expensive rules. Just yeah. bringing a, a, a COVID officer onto the set and, and following all these guidelines, which again we were doing it right trying to take it the next step even when uh the industry opened back up it was still cost prohibitive for us to make the movie oh, right yeah. and the, as you said before we 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 were raising enough money to get actual name actors not just actors but recognizable names and faces right which would draw audience yeah that was that was the whole my whole point behind once we decided to go forward with cruisers cruiser as a feature film we need the main villain to be a name actor and we need two of the supporting cast to be name actors. So and, we were, we were going to have between uh, minimum two, possibly four recognizable names in the film. You were really cultivating all the stuff that you've done in the past and taking all that stuff that you thought about and did into this. Mm-hmm. But I like the way you guys thought about the investor teaser. All that stuff you never did before now was coming to fruition. You know what I mean? So I was really proud to be part of the company. It sucks that we got stopped cold in our tracks. Yeah, we well, did. But that's some of that uncontrollable stuff yeah, that you talked about earlier. Right, sure. right. But again, I think we made the right decisions. Pulling the plug. And hmm. that's what's key for people to understand is if you don't make that decision, there's, there, there comes these times in your independent film career that you will come to these pivotal points. Do you hire a guy, a nice guy who's a, a director of photography that's not working out because it doesn't fit the movie, right? Yeah. Do you give the money back? Do you do these things? And we've always seemed to make the right decisions because we've always done things right every time. You know, not try to skimp by. So just think that's important for people to understand. We were able to bring uh, at least a couple of the investors back for uh, Red Night at Skies, which was the film that we actually did make. That's right. Which is action horror. Right. Right, even more, actually, yeah. yeah. So um, More horror, for sure. Right. I mean, you went back to work and took that time and wrote a script and adapted it to what we had, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, it, was, well, it, it was pretty impressive how you pulled that together. I mean, here's the thing, you know, me as a director, uh, the, the directors, when I was a kid growing up, the people that I admired the most, that I was inspired by the most, were Ridley Scott, John Carpenter, and Walter Hill. And... All of those guys have made action and horror films, you know, especially Carpenter. Hmm. And I'm I have been and always will be a big fan of horror films. I've never been a big fan of slashers. Right. Sorry, guys, never been a big slasher guy. Movies I I thought were amazing, terrified me, and and filled me full of of awe were The Thing oh. and Alien and American Werewolf in London. 
and from uh, from Walter Hill, Southern Comfort, the Warriors, mm-hmm. all these really intense, awesome genre films. You know, I think I still think the best uh, Halloween film that scared the shit out of me as a kid is the original. Halloween, like, Halloween two's okay, but I mean, you could have stopped after one. Wow, and that was that was about as low budget as you could get. Yeah, for a, for a movie like that. It, it, yeah, and all I mean, it, the thing is a cinematic masterpiece, in my opinion. Those are the those are the movies that that really inspired and moved me. You know, Alien. Alien's one of my favorite films. All of the characters were so real, and you cared about them. They weren't just kids getting in the woods, getting chopped up by a you know a maniac. Those are the kind of films I wanted to make where you care about the characters. It's you don't you don't care about you know the the gore and the kill count and all that. I mean that's that's fine, but but you care what happens to these people. And that's that that's those are the films and the filmmakers that inspired me. Landis, who made uh, American War in London, John oh, Landis. What a great movie! One of my favorite. One of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, one of the stars of that film was someone we were in talks with for uh, Red Night at Skies. We didn't didn't up going in that direction. No, I, we we do have uh, Bill Mosley and Red Night at Bill Skies. Bill, freaking Mosley. Uh, yeah, no, we we Chop Top. You yeah, know, we scored. We scored. Texas big Chainsaw on that. Massacre Two. Yeah, Friday uh, Night. Otis Driftwood. Yeah. I mean, you know, like we absolutely had to have a name actor in Red Night. For the next film, you know, God willing, we, we get a bigger budget. We we need we need two or three. <laughs> two or three, right? Yeah. But that's that's the whole idea. You you got to keep you got to keep stepping it up, right? And and I get it, man. You can make whatever movie you want to make with whatever elements you have, but if you don't have a name, it's it's tougher. It's tough as hell for for a distributor to even look at you, and and they're gonna say, how can we market this? How can we sell this? Because you know even. If they are one hundred percent honest, they're still in business to make money. No, 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 and and but we're picking genres because we believe that's where the money's at too, though. So yeah. don't think that we're doing other things that you know what I mean. We're from a business sense, we're driving that. Yeah, from it's, a, it's standpoint a business and, decision. I mean, to make an action yes. horror film. That, yeah, that's the biggest growth eighty-eight millimeters has done in the last couple of films. Is we've looked at the business side of it. Before we even start writing the script. Yeah. Right. And now we're writing scripts in the future to get more scripts in the hopper, mm-hmm. but they're all within that genre because, and not, you know, we shouldn't have to pivot from something like no. that. But if we have to pivot, then we got more things in the hopper. No. And like I said, Cruiser is, in my opinion, horror adjacent because it is a violent ass movie and it is very harrowing what, what the main character goes through. Uh, it's, it's some gnarly shit. So that still, I think, fits within no, no, no. I, our I, genre. I agree. But everything we're doing going forward, it's within the action horror genre. Mm-hmm. Why? One, because it's a genre I love and I know. And two, God damn it, it sells. God willing, it sells. Yeah. We found our place within that world, I think. Yeah. And I can't wait for people to see Red Knight. I mean, I can't wait to talk about it. I can't wait to have that be a focus of the podcast. We're going to be bringing in guests. We're going to be talking to people who are more or less at our level, maybe a little bit above, maybe a little bit below, maybe exactly on par. But basically, you know, doing the same thing we're doing or we're trying to do, we, we want to hear their stories too. Yeah, we're bringing them along for the ride. They're bringing us along for their ride. Uh, I'm interested in learning from other other people and this journey of independent filmmaking. I know we've got some uh, producers we'd like to line up for sure that's doing some pretty cool things. And uh, 
like I said earlier, some local filmmakers, and also we'll bring in some actors too. No, yeah, I think we gotta hit every aspect of it. And if, if you guys want us to talk about any but or any part of the independent film, you know, make sure you drop us, you know, a message on one of the social media platforms, and you know, we can take yeah. that into consideration. Hit us up it's, with uh, questions you have. You know, we'll do our best to answer. Right, and uh, I hope you got a good foundation about who we are, what we do. No, well, maybe we'll all fail together. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> We're not failures. Come on. You <laughs> no, we're winners. You suck. We're winners. Right. Come on, is it the highs, the lows yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, either way it goes. We are going to be talking about the highs, the lows, and the in-betweens of true. And that's the difference, kids. True independent filmmaking on the Indie Film Sucks podcast. Keep sucking. Peace out. Indie Film Sucks. Indie Film Sucks It's the Indie Film Sucks